children. So I'm Tammy, I think there's probably loads of you that I haven't met, which is really sad because I don't get to the 6.30 very often because I have two small people in my life who like to go to bed about 7, maybe sometimes. So I can't be there, but um, it's fun to be tonight. And as we're worshipping, I was just thinking of how grateful I am for you guys. And so many of you serve the church in loads of ways that probably I don't even know and I don't see. But loads of you make kids work happen with Lauren, make worship happen, tech, all kinds of things. And we're so grateful for you, so grateful for all of you guys that serve ENC and help it be the great church that it is and allow us to kind of meet with God and all those things that happen. So thank you if you're involved in serving because it blesses us and it really blesses me. So, um, should I introduce? You don't need to. Yeah. Well, I'm married to Bob, who you guys might know because he does make the 6.30 most weeks. I think he might have been once or twice to Essence. Um, I've got two little girls and a little boy on the way. He comes at the end of May, if all goes well. And, um, <laughs> and I work for a charity that's based in Luton with young people. Since I finished uni, I've always worked with young people. And yeah, I have a few times thought this is the end of my career with young people, and then God calls me back to hang out with 11 to 18, so apparently that's my thing. I don't really know, but <laughs> I do enjoy it. Anyway, so Isaiah, big book. I hear you guys chose it. You wanted to get deep into Isaiah. And so I, this week, have tried to get into Isaiah with you. And um, I was thinking just like even the fact these Old Testament prophets are obedient, aren't they? And they're so bold in what they say. And they're always, not always, often speaking to people who don't want to hear it. And yet they do it. And so even there, it's an amazing example, isn't it, for us, thinking, like, what has God put on our heart to say? What truth does he want us to speak in love that requires, like, a high level of obedience, a high level of, like, boldness and faith to speak the truth? So I could just stop there, because probably all of us need to grow in that, right? Just that, just thinking about the Old Testament prophets, but I won't stop. Um, so Isaiah, the book of Isaiah is long, this passage is long, and throughout the book there's an amazing number of themes that Isaiah draws out. He draws out the holiness and the set-apart nature of God, you might have come across that in the last few weeks. He talks about um, the kind of judgment of Israel, how often they get it wrong and they turn away and they stop listening and they kind of mess up and then God calls them back. And there's loads of beautiful imagery, probably the most famous verses other than the ones about Jesus in Isaiah that you might know, the ones of him like calling us back and promising to restore us. And you've heard in that passage lots about the restoration and the justice that God wants to bring. And actually, I'm not really going to touch on that tonight, but, you know, go and read it and allow God to speak to your heart about how he restores us. Um, yeah, and then there's, there's lots in there about the future hope and the Messiah that will come that Isaiah talks about as well. So it's full, it's full of stuff, Isaiah, it's amazing. But there's four things that I felt like God point out to me about the passage tonight that I want to bring to you. So I'm not going to cover everything, so I apologise that there's a richness that I won't even get to. But these are the four things that I felt like God had for you guys tonight. So the first one relates to the very first word of this passage, which is listen. And in this passage, there's three times that um, God says, listen, 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 and they says, hear me. And when there's like repetition, especially in the Old Testament, that's like bold, underlined, arrows pointing, listen, it's a big part of what Isaiah wants you guys to hear that God is saying. And I was thinking about this, like why is that repeated throughout this passage? And it's because 
We're really bad at listening to God, aren't we? That is the whole story of the Israelites, is God calls them, he gives them this amazing way to live, all these promises, richness, and they consistently go, yeah, cool. And just walk over here and do the opposite. They don't listen. And I don't know about you guys, but I know that I struggle with that too. Yeah? Anybody else in the room find listening to God? I don't just mean like hearing it and being like, oh, that's really nice. I mean listening to it and it transforms your life. It means you actually do what he's calling you to do. Anybody else struggle with that? Yeah, me too. And um, I have to talk about listening a lot in my life because I have a little three-year-old that is a monkey. And repeatedly I say to her, have you got your listening ears on? Yes, mummy. And within five minutes, do you actually have your listening ears on, Libs? No, mummy. I've got my naughty ears on. Um, and so, you know, listening is a, is a big theme in my life, but I also know that often I think I probably don't have my listening ears on either when God is talking and I need to remember to put them on like she does. And um, God is like, in the Bible, he has, he has given us this incredible way to live. You know, sometimes it does feel a bit rawly, but actually when you get to know him, you realise that he has the best for you. And he actually wants the fullness of life for you. He wants you to live in the liberation and the restoration that Jesus paid for. And therefore, throughout scripture, is these amazing ways that we are called to live. And we need to listen to that. But so often, we're drawn to other sources to teach us how to live. And we listen to those sources. So, like, you know, like on Instagram, there's some, like, cool person. And slowly, that kind of infiltrates the way that we think about life, the way that we look at life, the way that we think about living it. Or even like there's some really interesting and in some ways like helpful ideologies out there. There's some cool stuff around that's like, oh, that sounds good, I might read that. Or like a self-help book or something. And it's like there's good in it, but really when you get to the heart of it, it isn't. Because what God is calling you to is going to actually liberate you and draw you into salvation and draw you into his plan. So, um, yeah, I was thinking we've got to be really careful of like, what we actually listen to, like what we actually put into practice in our lives. And if it's not what God is saying, then it will be something else. And that something else might feel quite nice on the surface and initially be like, oh, that's quite, that's quite clever and quite helpful. But really, when you look through history, you can see how often we mess up, don't we, when we stop listening to what God is doing. So we need like, to create a much bigger dependency on the word of God and the wisdom of God than what the world is saying. So I wonder what stops you listening? Like, you guys are amazing. You're here on Thursdays, listening to someone chat to you. Sunday night, you probably somebody get to see you and there's a talk, probably listen to a podcast. You're getting a lot of, like, good, well, sometimes, good stuff being talked at you. But I wonder how, how much of that actually like there's fruit of that in your life you know how much of that do you actually put into practice you hear it but does it like transform the way that you you live your life and um i was thinking so what is it like for me what's what sort of stops me when i've heard something but stops me like actively listening and i was thinking about cory ten boom anyone know cory ten boom might not know but anyone know of cory ten boom in the room what a legend she says that if the devil can't make you sin he'll keep you busy And ultimately, that has the same impact that sin does because it stops our connection with God. Because we're so busy, our kind of like intimacy, our relationship with God becomes like further and further down our priority list. 
And sometimes we're doing so many good things for God, like we're busy because we're like running around serving him, doing all this stuff, and that's amazing. But actually, if it stops you spending time with God and being able to hear what he's saying, it might be worth just rethinking how many of those things are actually what God's calling you to do, when actually he really just wants to be with you and transform you, that when you go out to be transformative, you've been transformed already. And um, I don't know as well, like when you're in church, you hear a great talk, or you're at a conference, or for me, it's like podcasts, like I've got a long journey or a walk, like I'm listening to a podcast, so many amazing people to listen to. And in the moment, I'm like, yes, this is so good, I'm gonna change my life, God, yes, 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 I'm on it. And then I like, get out of my car or get home, and I'm like straight into my busy life, and I've literally forgotten all these like things that God started to breathe or like bubble up in me. And I've got to make the space in my life to actually listen and activate what he is saying and what he is doing. Um, I heard a funny story this week that might help you remember this point. Um, this guy was telling me at work that he was at this big conference and um, he's trained to be a vicar and all these American pastors were there and this big like mega church pastor comes up to him. He's like, hey, um, you know, what, what cause you're trained to be a vicar? Or something like that. Bad accent, sorry, pretty. And um, and and he says, um, oh yeah, these are these are the reasons. And the, the pastor was like, so what were you doing before? And he was like, I was a builder. And he said, whoa, I I never met anybody that that had that transition from that to trying to be a vicar. Like that's incredible. And then he was like, tell me how. Like tell me the story. He's like, no, wait, wait, wait. Let me just go and get all my friends to listen to this story. So he runs off and gets all his big mega church pals, and they all come over and they're like, hey guys, this is the one I was telling you about. This is the guy that's trained to be a vicar who used to be a Buddha. <laughs> and my, my friend who was telling me was like, I didn't know what to do. My story is not quite so exciting when really I was just a builder. Um, anyway, so it pays to listen, right? It pays to hear what someone's actually saying, because otherwise, your testimony is transformed from building to building. Um, anyway, so that's my first challenge to you, is how are you making space to actually listen to what God is saying to you? How are you actively hearing and being transformed by the word of God? Because Isaiah thinks it's really important. It's really important in our pursuit of living the life that God's called us to live, that we make the space to hear what God is saying. Okay, point number two, which I almost feel like I don't need to make because you guys are already doing this with your God stories. But point number two is the power of testimony, the power of remembering God's faithfulness. When we look back and we remember what God has done, it enables us to have hope grow in our life for the promises that he's declared for the future. In this passage, you've got these amazing promises where God is like talking about restoration and life coming. And part of the way that the, the Israelites who would have heard this would have hope for that is because they'd look back at what God had already done. And there's, there's two little bits I just want to read out. So one is um, in verse 2, and it says, Look to Abraham, your father, and to Sarah who gave you birth. When I called him, he was only one man, and I blessed him, and I made him many. For those of you that know the story of Abraham, He's like hanging out with God and God says to him, you know, like, look at the sky, the number of stars are going to be the number of descendants that you have. And at this point, 
Abraham and his wife Sarah couldn't have children, they didn't have any children, and God's promising him that he'll be this father of this huge nation. It's completely impossible in Abraham's eyes, and yet with God, anything's possible. He has a child when he's like really old, and that is the beginning of this nation of Israel. And there's another bit um, in verse 10 that says, Was it not you who dried up the sea, the waters of the great deep, and made a road in the depths of the sea so the redeemed might cross over? That's another big Old Testament story where Moses brings the like slaves out of Egypt. They get to the edge of the sea. They're like, how are they going to get across? God parts the sea and they walk across on dry land into freedom. Isaiah is bringing these stories in to remind us of who God is, what he's like, that he's faithful to his promises and he's faithful to those that he's called. And I don't know how you guys feel, but I need those stories in my life. I need to remember, like, who is God? What is he saying? When he calls me, like, is he going to be faithful? And it's often the moments where we feel the most, like, insecure or full of doubt or we're nervous that you often feel like God is moving, he's calling you to do something. And if we can remember the stories of God's faithfulness, then our like trust and our hope to step into the things that he says he has for us or for the church or for whatever, they grow. Stories of faith grow our own faith. So I wonder what kind of stories you guys feast on. You know, we've got the whole of scripture that tells you like the beauty of who God is. In every page almost, except those long ancestries, it probably is in there somewhere, but we can see the faithfulness of God, that when he says he'll do something, he does it. When he calls someone who feels weak and not able, that person is strong and able in him. We see God's faithfulness, but the other thing that's so cool is now we've got like 2,000 years more of stories of people who follow Jesus and follow God and that he is faithful to. So I don't know, I don't know what stories you guys like. Maybe you like the idea of these two little old ladies sat in the Hebrides praying for revival and it happens. Maybe you need to be reminded that your prayers are powerful and effective and it's in scripture but it's also been happening for the last 2,000 years plus that God is faithful when we pray and stuff happens. Or maybe you want to go back to the 1700s and you love the idea of Wesley and Whitfield kind of breaking out of this constrictive church and preaching all over the place. And people are so hungry. They're climbing trees and then they're getting overwhelmed by the Holy Spirit and they fall out the tree because they're so overwhelmed by the presence of God. That happened. That happened. Isn't that cool? 1700s, why not happen again? Or what about the fact that like China has been locked down for so many years but now there's like a hundred million Christians in China who want to come and be missionaries over here. You know, is that not a testament to God's faithfulness, to God's power, to the power of the church? We look at the church and we think, oh, is it ever going to grow? Is God going to do anything? It is growing. It's crazy. God loves the church. He wants the church to grow. What about like the individual story, the people like Brother Andrew, do you guys know him? He's like smuggling Bibles through the Iron Curtain. It's completely impossible that he should be able to get Bibles into communist-run Romania. And yet with God, anything is possible. Or Corrie Ten Boom, I talked about earlier. She's in Ravensbrück concentration camp. She's an old lady. She talks about it basically being hell on earth. And yet, even there, 
God provides for her. She can share his love. People come to faith. In the concentration camp, God's there. He's moving. He's faithful. So maybe you need to think about those stories, but I wonder what's in your story. Tonight, you guys have encouraged me with your God stories, but each of you have a relationship with God. Each of you have a connection. Each of you have a moment that he might speak to you through the word. He might whisper something to you through worship. He might just reveal his heart through nature. And that story might just be what I need to remind me that God is faithful, that he's present, that he's with me. So I encourage you to think about your story with God. How does your story grow this community? How does your story cause the bigger church to step out in faith in God? Because we're called to remember that God is faithful. When I became a Christian, I was 19, and um, I was in Romania randomly, and um, I really was not interested in God at all. Like, I really thought, he does not sound like a good guy if he's real. And so he is real, no thanks, and probably he's not real, so whatever. Anyway, and it was stories of God that began to open my heart. It wasn't stories from the Bible, because I thought that was all rubbish. It was pastors, old pastors, telling me crazy stories of God moving recently that I couldn't deny. And I, I, I was cross because I could feel something happening in my heart when I would hear these stories. And here's a crazy one to encourage you, okay? So communist, didn't like faith, shut it all down. Pastors were really badly persecuted, but they carried on. One pastor gets dragged out of his house one wintry evening, taken up to the mountains. It's freezing cold. The rules are the police can't kill them, but if they die under their watch, it's not their fault. So what they do is they decide to put him in a pen with a bull. And if the bull doesn't kill him, the cold will by the morning. So they leave him there for preaching the good news. And God whispers to this pastor, go sit in the corner. Sit in the corner. So he does it. He's obedient, probably terrified. He sits in the corner and the bull charges. The bull charges towards this pastor and his horns get stuck in the fence either side of this pastor. And the hot breath of the bull keeps the pastor alive all night and they have to let him go. That's what they told me. And I was like, no, 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 God doesn't exist. But my heart was like, oh, maybe he does. Maybe this person who I've heard about slightly, maybe he's real and maybe he's faithful. Maybe he actually does care about the individual. Is that a crazy story? It's a true story and there's loads of them. But it wasn't just the crazy stories. It was just the stories that revealed something of God that I've never known before that started to stir my heart, that made it ready for when God came and spoke to me himself. So I encourage you, feast on stories of God's faithfulness. Even in the times where your own faith feels like tiny and you don't feel like you've seen him move and you feel tired and you've been praying for something for ages and nothing's happening, feast on the faithfulness of God. Isaiah said it, I'm saying it, they all say it. Testimony is huge. So even like in this community, when you feel like your God story is like tiny comparatively, I just really encourage you to share it because you don't know who needs to hear that story, who needs to hear that little bit of God that you've glimpsed that day or that week. So um, yeah, do it. And do you know what happens when we hear stories that are amazing? Our faith level rises. Are like, whoa, God did that. I could do that happens. You know, like when you hear stories, Jacob praying for someone on the street and they get healed, you're like, maybe I could do that. 
God can do that. Maybe he can do it through me. Or when you hear the story of someone becoming Christian at an events week, you're like, maybe I could just invite my friend, see what happens. Nothing's impossible with God because I've just heard those stories where nothing actually was impossible with God. So that's cool, isn't it? So share stories. Read stories. Read about revivals of the past. Read about the revivals that are happening around the world now. Read individuals that God calls that feel weak, that don't feel prepared, and God uses them. Read the stories. Read Jackie Pullinger hanging out in Hong Kong and like all these crazy gangster addicts falling on their knees and worshipping Jesus. Read about Heidi Baker in Mozambique with like thousands and thousands of orphan kids finding the love of Jesus and realising that they're so valuable. Read the stories. And read your Bible because it's full. Absolutely jam-packed of God's faithfulness. So I've got two last things to say, if that's all right. I don't know what time it is. I don't know what time I'm going to the pub, so I'm sorry in advance if I'm taking too long. So the second to last point is about perspective. So I'm going to read you a couple of verses. So verse 6 says, The heavens will vanish, the earth will wear out, but my salvation will last forever. My righteousness will never fail. Verse 7 says, Do not fear the reproach of mere mortals or be terrified of their insults. Verse 8, My righteousness will last forever and my salvation through all generations. There's so much going on in life, isn't there, to draw us into the here and now and the fears of the day and the worries of what's happening. But God is calling the Israelites to have a bigger perspective. He's calling them to an eternal perspective, to live life now but knowing what's to come. Something beyond the moment that we live in, but shapes the moment that we're in. The way that we live our lives, focus on eternity, will shape your here and now, and it's up to you how you live in it. And for God, it's really important, the big eternal picture, isn't it? He can see the whole of time, and he sees what's coming, what he's going to be doing. And he calls us to carry that perspective that we're not so entirely focused on what's happening now, and that our, our sort of motivation and our like movement towards the things that he calls us to do are based on an eternal picture. Does that make sense? Yeah. So Paul is a writer in the New Testament. Probably you guys have heard of him if you've read the Bible a couple of times. And um, he, he's like quite severely persecuted guy, you know, like he's in prison a lot. I think he's like beaten up, he's shipwrecked. Like he talks about um, all of those things in the letters, but what really comes across in his letters is that he is content in all things, that he actually has joy in his sufferings. And he writes in 2 Corinthians, therefore we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away. Yet inwardly we're being renewed day by day for our light and momentary oh, have I lost my place? troubles um, are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. And I think the reason that part of the reason that Paul can be content in the midst of suffering, shipwreck, persecution, is because he fixes his eyes on what's coming, not just what's happening. And I wonder for you guys, do you carry an eternal perspective in your life? Or do you carry a one for this world, for now? Do you allow an eternal perspective to impact your priorities, the way you choose to spend your time? Does it impact the way you choose to spend your money, how generous you are? Does it impact your level of boldness to just go for it and have a go? 
And does it impact the time that you give to God? Does your awareness of eternity impact the life that you lead now? So there's a bit in Isaiah that talks about, I've just got to find it, sorry everybody. It says, it's got to find it, sorry, so long. Where is it? It talks about mere mortals. Can anybody see that verse? Here. Do not fear the reproach of mere mortals or be terrified by their insults. And then a few verses later it says, because my righteousness will last forever, my salvation through all generations. How many of you struggle with fear of man? How many of you are afraid of people thinking you're weird or saying weird things about you? Put your hand up because it's an action, not rhetorical. Who struggles with fear of man? I majorly struggle with it. I have all these like new mums to me on the school gates, and I totally am like, this is my mission field, as I'm driving along with my wedding music on. And I get out, and I'm like, they're like, so what, you know, what do you do? What does your husband do? And I'm like, oh, who's a looker? You know, anyway, that's not quite true, but that kind of thing. And like, I'm like, why do I care what you think? I've got the best news in the whole world for you that will transform your life. And yet I care what you think too much in this world. What does it matter if someone thinks I'm weird because I love Jesus? I'll be in heaven. You know? <laughs> There's an eternal perspective for you. But I don't know, but Isaiah here is saying, like, people were afraid of mere mortals, and yet they're connected to the God of the universe and they've got an eternal salvation with him. But so many of us fear man, don't we? I get it, I'm so with you. But when we have an eternal perspective, something starts to shift, doesn't it? That we see that actually the most important thing is they hear that message of Jesus, that they have the opportunity to step into the eternal perspective, the eternal salvation, which lasts forever and ever. So... My final thing I want to talk to you about is um, it's just Jesus. Because you can't, you can't not talk about Jesus, can you? Because he's just the best. So, um, so there's a little bit um, in this passage that talks about the cup of wrath. It sounds quite scary, doesn't it? I don't know if you find it a bit scary. When I first read it, I was like, how am I going to talk about that? What's that even mean? Anyway, but um, <laughs> straight away, when I was thinking about this cup, it reminded me of Jesus just before he's crucified, which you guys might know that story. He's had dinner with his friends. He goes off to pray. And um, in, in that moment that he's praying, he, he says, like, Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me. Yet yeah, not my will, but your will be done. When he prays that prayer, he is in such extreme anguish. It's quite hard to imagine Jesus being like really afraid, almost distraught, isn't it? Because that's not really the picture that we have of him. And yet he's sweating blood, which like scientists now would tell you, like does actually happen when someone is under extreme, extreme, extreme stress and anguish, that you begin to sweat blood, which is unimaginable, isn't it? Being in that sort of torment. But Jesus is really aware that what's about to happen is he's about to take the entire judgment on himself, isn't he? The whole of this Israel, Israel nation that keeps messing up, he's taking their judgment, he's taking my judgment, he's taking your judgment, he's taking the whole of the future judgment, and the weight of that must be so heavy on him. And he says to God, like, if there's any other way 
that you could take the cup of wrath, this cup of judgment that Isaiah talks about here. And Isaiah like paints this really bleak picture, doesn't he? He talks about like your children have fainted. They lie at every street corner, like an antelope caught in the net. You know, it's like this quite a horrible picture of like what's happened in Israel. It's like so bleak. But in it, it says, see, I have taken the cup out of your hand. And do you know what he's done when he took it out of their hand? Just put it in Jesus' hand. And Jesus, in his extreme anguish, knows that he is the sacrifice. That means you don't have to carry that cup. I don't have to carry that cup that is actually deservedly mine. I don't have to carry it because, because actually he took that cup out of my hand and handed it to Jesus. And Jesus is in extreme anguish over having to just die, probably just for my cup of wrath, my judgment, but it's not just mine, is it? It's the entire history before him and after him that he holds on to. And Isaiah points forward to this Messiah because he knows that we need a rescuer, doesn't he? He knows that there's no way that Israel can listen well enough. There's no way they can remember God's faithfulness well enough. There's no way they can hold the eternal perspective well enough that on their own they can bring their own salvation. God knows that, so he knows he's going to have to send a rescuer, and Jesus is the rescuer, isn't he? And he holds the cup. But do you know what is so beautiful? Is in Hebrews, it says, it was for the joy set before him that he endures the cross. And do you know what the joy is? It's you. You are the joy. Your relationship, you being in right relationship with God, you being saved forever, you being saved into eternity with him, your freedom, your liberation, your cleansing, all of it, that is the joy that he died for. That is the reason he endured the cup of wrath that is causing him so much anguish that he is bleeding, like sweating blood. That's crazy, isn't it? And he's, and he's there hanging on the cross, enduring it, because you are the joy set before him. And that's what Isaiah is talking about in the end of that passage. So I want to encourage you that in all these things, you are his joy, that your right relationship with God, that your connection, your liberation, your restoration, everything that he paid for, that he offers you, is because you are his joy. Isn't that amazing? And um, he endured it for you, and he would do it again. And he took that cup, he took that cup for you. And he took it for you to live out the life that he's called you to live now. But I want to encourage you again, listen to him. Because he genuinely has the best for you. He really genuinely calls you to fullness of life. And I don't think any of us fully know what that really is like. But you know those moments where you do feel like, yes, like I am like connected to my saviour. I'm like following out the call he's got for me. I'm spending time with him. I'm changing. I'm growing. I suddenly feel more like myself than I've ever felt before. That's like a fraction of the fullness that he's paid for for you. So listen to him because he has the fullness in mind for you. Enjoy stories of his faithfulness when you need it, when you just need to like figure out who is God? I've kind of forgotten what he's like. I don't understand. He's not answered this prayer. Whatever it is, just feast on stories of faithfulness. You have them your own self, but if you can't remember them, just read one. Read any story about God and feast on his faithfulness. And then finally, work on that eternal perspective. 
Because when we had that, I actually genuinely think anything's possible because you would kind of do anything because you know that it's got eternal consequence. 